Hello and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. In the studio today, it is Gregor Robertson, along with Tom Roddy and Tom Clark. Hello, everyone. How are you all doing on this wet day? Not, not too bad. Very thank well, you. thank you. All right. How are you? All right. I'm, I'm great. Thank you very much. Before we get started, we have to work out two Toms. What are we going to do here? <laughs> well, so a dear friend of mine always refers to me as Northern Tom. So you could Northern go with that. Tom. You know, just probably, Max. You probably tell by the accents as well, probably. <laughs> yeah, I think we'll, we'll happy stick with that. With that yeah, Gosh, I, I, and just not on the pod as well. Just all just the time. Just in general, all the time. <laughs> just yeah. helps. We talked it? about the idea of Thomas, but you know, we both decided that's reserved just for our mums. So I was about to say, are you both Thomases? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah technically, I, yeah. but I mean, you know, just to our mums now. I think start mm. quivering when I hear that. No. <laughs> <laughs> all right. As it is, then we've got a Northern Tom and we have Tom. There we yes. go. And Gregor, you're in the middle, so yes. that works all very well. Um, coming up, we're going to discuss the hottest prospect to come out of Scotland since Gregor Robertson. Uh, ask if <laughs> oh, Olivier <boy>. Giroud <laughs> is the most underappreciated Premier League player ever, and we'll quiz our panel ahead of Sunday's Manchester derby. All that to come after this. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Rising sea levels, extreme weather patterns, extinctions of species. Our planet needs protecting. I'm Adam Vaughan, the Environment Editor for The Times, and this is Planet Hope from The Times, in partnership with Rolex and its Perpetual Planet Initiative. In this podcast, we hear from leading experts from around the world who are committed to finding solutions. These explorers, scientists, entrepreneurs and citizens are committed to a common goal, to protect our home, Earth. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts. Now, Norwich's victory over Tottenham on penalties last night in the fifth round of the FA Cup was overshadowed by a bizarre incident after the game. Spurs' Eric Dyer sensationally jumped into the crowd to confront one of the club's own supporters. Dyer spotted his brother having an altercation with a fan and then went into the crowd to intervene. It's caused huge debate, as you can imagine already. So, Gregor, let's come to you first. Um, is there ever an excuse for a player doing this? Um, I think Mourinho he doesn't deserve much credit for the things he's done of late but he deserves credit for the way he summed it up I think he just said as a professional you can't do that but I understand why he did essentially mm. he's, he's human he was he was emotional at the time they just lost the game um, and he he was thought he was protecting his brother but in answer to the question not really you can't leave the pitch enter the stand <laughs> kind of looking pretty aggressive as well um, I think we can just be glad that nothing more serious happened. Mm. Um, but I think also you need, we need to counter that with this kind of growing cultural acceptance of abuse from the stands towards players. So I think there's you know there's two sides to this. He shouldn't have done that, but at the same time, 
players should not be subjected to abuse, and neither should their family members either. Mm. I, I mean, that is the that is the crux of it, really, isn't it? That fans will say, Tom, that they pay the money to come into a, a ground; they have every right to criticise a player but there is a fine line between between criticism and abuse yeah and if they did say that they'd be very wrong (laughs) but um, yeah I think that it is like Gregor said a wider context on this that it's felt like something like this had happened for a while especially this is why I think there's a question mark over this new rule of substitutes going off and walking around the pitch and and we saw the incident with um, Granite Xhaka at at Arsenal recently or not too long ago and it's felt like something like this would happen for a while and the fact it's Eric Dyer, someone who we all know or we've, we've kind of got to know and is a very level-headed, calm. He's, he's he's he always speaks after games, regardless of the result. And he's a he's a very calm guy. For him to do what he did, and this wasn't this wasn't the same as the Cantonar incident, which has been referred to um, quite a lot. This because it's not just a rush of blood. He's he's got to hurdle those those chairs. It was the twentieth row or something like that. Quite um, impressive, in fact. It, it <laughs> was. Yeah. God, good, he's got good hips, hasn't he? Mm, he's got to hurdle yeah. those chairs. <laughs> So, if it, so for him to go that that far, um, I think it just shows that the, this moment's been coming for a while. Mm. It, Northern Tom. Hello. It feels a bit strange Hello. saying that. Sorry, I, <laughs> that. Um, I mean, Gregor was obviously pointing out the fact he's a footballer. So we know that as a footballer, you have certain ways that you should behave. So no one will necessarily condone what Eric Dyer has done as a footballer. But as a brother there will be people going, well, I'll have done the same thing. Absolutely. I mean, my brother listens to the podcast and he will cringe when he hears this. But, you know, if I ever saw my brother in any kind of altercation, and particularly as he's my younger brother, and I'd, you know, get all protective and, you know, caring and things, I'd be straight in there without even thinking. So that is a big part of this story, I think, the family element. Mm. And as Tom has quite rightly said, you know, the disconnect between fans and players and things, and families have a big part to play in that, I think. You know, we wouldn't want Eric Dyer's family to not come to games. And also, we, I don't think as fans we want them to be kind of sanitised and sat in the boxes. Eric Dyer's brother obviously wants to come and watch his brother play and be in with the fans. You know, I've been to games only recently. Lincoln signed a player um, in January and in a few weeks later... You, his whole family were there and you could tell they were his whole family because every time he got the ball they were going mad and everything like that and I, I thought that was lovely that was really nice but then at the same time during that game there were fans the the family was sat to my left and then the fan, there were fans to my right giving him absolute awful abuse I mean he'd only been playing for us for about three games and I was thinking god this is awful you know we should be trying to kind of welcome them in and making them feel part of part of the fan base so that in turn the player feels a bit more connected with the club and, you know, as Tom says, this, this kind of slightly worrying divide is happening. I think if we park the issue about the brother, because for me, as I said, that kind of clouds it slightly because mm. you would always, I think you, most people would do that with a family member. Mm-hmm. But more worrying is the kind of the kind of vicious fan, you know, dialogue and, you know, the things that come out against players. I mean, I'm interested in Gregor saying that it seems to be worse now. So you know, you you didn't feel it was this strong when you were playing. No, I don't. I'm not saying it's worse now. I think, I no. I remember actually sitting in the stands and hearing people kind of abusing players and and knowing their family are around as well, mm. like teammates of mine. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it's kind of the fact that nowadays 
within five minutes. There's so many clips up on social media of him vaulting the vaulting the steps, mm. and you know it just seems more immediate. Um, I don't, I, you know, I think there is some there is a, something in that, that kind of grow and divide, but I don't think this is new. You know, fans have always kind of vented their spleen from the from the stands, and so supporters have always had their family members there. So these kind of things probably happened in the past. It's just. The fact that he's taken this step. Have you ever seen, seen anything like this before when you've played? No, I've seen arguments. I've seen kind of players being held back on the touchline or you know going into the tunnel and fans running over and there kind of being some pretty horrible language. But I've never seen anyone climb off the you know step off the pitch and step into the stand and make their way with mm. <laughs> with in no uncertain terms of what he was going to do if he could get hold of the guy. I think. Um, so no, I've never seen that before. Tom, you you were very sort of quick to answer when I mentioned that some fans will say, I have every right to go into a ground and aim some sort of criticism, if, whether it stretches to abuse at players because I'm paying to go into that ground and essentially paying their wages, they'll, they will say. Um, well, why were you so quick to say, no, no, that's not right? Well, I mean, I think, I just think that you, you may pay and you, you may be, paying to be to be entertained and I understand that but um, I don't think the level of, of abuse that it gets to is warrants the, the kind of actions that you do see mm-hmm. and, and we see it every single game we go to um, and uh, you know sitting sitting in a lot of, of press boxes around it you the things you hear that they say to players is is horrific and and I can understand um while northern tom was uh, was 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 talking about um you know the family sitting in being being divided as well i think i know at stamford bridge they have in the corner of the ground they have a boxed off a glass boxed off section where the family sit and there's something quite special about um the being being part of the club and it's it's nice for the families to be able to part be part of it as well and be um to to kind of feel it and you know you wonder whether Dyer's family would think twice now or they probably Mm. would be thinking twice now and and that's a shame well the relationship with the club will have changed probably irreparably um and i don't think that's that unusual i don't even think it takes this for that to have happened i think you know anytime they hear fans and things are going badly for a club or or for your brother or son or whatever, mm. and you hear things like this, then I think your relationship with the club and and its supporters is damaged because mm-hmm. uh, you're going to be protective. So um, I don't think it's anything new. I just think the fact that the Dyer has actually gone to these lengths is kind of this happens a lot. This happens all the time. But I think it comes. There's a there's an issue, and I've talked about this before on the podcast in relation to referees, and it's the choice of language that I think is changing a bit these days and it's you know if, if I was Eric Dyer's brother and I was heard someone say God Eric's having a bit of a shocker today that's fine but if mm. I heard him saying oh he's a disgrace he never tries you know yeah. absolute nicking a living blah blah calling you know that kind of higher level of questioning and every name under the yeah sun. about yeah. his kind of professional standing and all that kind of stuff which you do hear all the time you know I and we're so passionate as football fans that we lose sense and sight sometimes and I think that's where I think it's got a little bit worse than it used to be certainly from my point of view going to games the type of thing that is said about players is the kind of thing that you have no idea you can't even make a judgement on you can watch a game and say god he's having one today but then you can't say 
X, Y or Z about his personality Absolutely. or his standing as a human being, which often does get said. And I think Ooh. that's what's got a lot worse. Well, my other half played the game and I've been at games where I've heard abuse aimed at him mm. and it's it's such a painful experience to go through. I remember yeah. I've sat in a game with tears in my eyes because yeah. it was just that horrid to hear the level of abuse that could be aimed at someone that you think you don't know that person no. personally. Why no. on earth? Would you talk about them like that? Um, and, and obviously, Gregor, footballers aren't paid to have abuse hurled at them. No. No, but it almost it almost immediately becomes part of the job, I think. <laughs> um, I, I, it's not something you, you, you're you taught in an academy. You think you're going to be you're going to be subject to this kind of thing. It's but it's part. It, that's I've spoken about it before. How you said the other Dave and Matt was talking about. Um, playing over 50s football and it being like go back to playing football as a kid as soon as you become professional this is one of the reasons why it becomes it feels like it's a job because the sort of outside the maelstrom that's swirling around in the stand around about and the sort of you know there's no reason no rhyme or reason for any of that kind of language mm. um, so it kind of it does detract a wee bit from the joy of the supposed joy of being a footballer Did you never get close to kind of just I'm going back to my point about the kind of type of thing that's been said you know you've talked before about you're not minding that referees say oh Robbo you're having one today you know as a fan never said something that you thought oh, you've gone way too far there mate yeah yeah I mean and sure. you've but have you always ignored it or have you ever you know come close to turning around and saying something to them I mean maybe like a pointed look in the stand but you can't you can't let it affect you at all I mean yeah god yeah I mean of course I have I've been and it's worse even the lower down you go because you can sometimes hear the voices. You know, you're you can much hear closer, the, aren't you? Yeah. You can pick ways, out the yeah. person in the crowd rather than in among sixty thousand people at White Hart Lane. So, yeah. absolutely, I've experienced that. But I've not, beyond kind of having given someone a bit of a dagger dagger eye, I've never considered jumping into the stand. Mm. I mean, all that being said, obviously, what Eric Dyer did as the footballer, he shouldn't have done. We we know that, and perhaps we could also argue that maybe his brother should have shown some more restraint albeit we don't know what was said. Um, with regards to Eric Dyer, should he face punishment, Tom? I think I think yes, in, in some form. Um, and even if that's just a slap on the wrist, I think it's that's okay. But I don't think it can go unpunished. Um, I'm not sure what it would be for, though. I mean, is there a rule that says a player can't leave the pitch and... And enter the enter well. That the was stand. it. I mean, a lot of people have done the comparisons of well, a fan that. can't enter a pitch, so why should a player be? But I don't. I, I agree. I'm not quite sure what's in the law books that that suggests that he can't actually go into the stand. It's the nature in which he goes. But into it's the, the aggressive stand, yeah, nature of it. You know, there, there was a there was a clear. <laughs> I mean, there's evidence. So much evidence we see online of of um, of the nature of it and the 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 clear in, in, intent that was that was there. Um, because otherwise, it's otherwise. It's, you know, we see it a lot uh, with with players going into the crowd to see their families. But um, that that's the issue. I don't. Th I don't know whether there should be a a, a game ban. I, I don't think so. Mm. What we should say is that Tottenham, the Metropolitan Police, and the Football Association are all investigating the incident, and a fan has already been identified. Uh, asked if the club will discipline Dyer following the incident, which has evoked memories of Eric Cantona's clash with a supporter at Crystal Palace back in January 1995. Jose Mourinho said, if the club does that, I would not agree, 
but he did wrong. Now, obviously, as I said, it's kind of evoke memories, Northern Tom, of that. <laughs> so strange to say that. I should have he, a flat cap on. People get complaints. I know. It's all in good taste. Yeah. Um, it, it evokes memories of the Eric Cantona clash, but obviously that went a lot further than than what happened with Dyer. Yeah. Um, Tom's not sure about a ban. Where would you stand on some sort of punishment? Well, I go back to, you know, I say about my point about a broader point about football and, you know, dialogue and the language that's used. I would like to kind of see Tottenham take control of the scenario and Eric Dyer take control of the scenario and, you know, take ownership of it. And even maybe even with the fan, put out something, some kind of video or discussion or something that says, you know, we've had a chat about this and actually this is not right. This is what happened. Complete transparency about what went on. And, you know, actually, we as a club, Tottenham, we're in a bit of a bind at the minute. We need all of you behind us. And change the narrative around it slightly. Mm. And, you know, it's more clever PR, isn't it? And I'd be on next week saying, slagging them off for saying it. But <laughs> it would be a very clever move to t- well, take ownership you know, of it and, you know, change the narrative around it all slightly. Because as Gregor said, this could cause a significant rift but between Dyer, his family, the fans between the other players who will yeah. understandably be supporting Dyer, We understand that um, his brother went into the changing room after the game with Eric Dyer. Um And so this, I think they should see it as an opportunity to bring the club back together after a mm. row. It's so interesting that you've said that because uh, speaking to Fraser Franks a little bit earlier on, the, the former Newport Stevenage Luton defender, and he mentioned an episode at Luton where something very similar happened and the Luton captain went into the crowd to have it out with a, a fan and that led to a galvanising of, of the whole club, if you like. Mm. And they had been on a bad run of form. It ended up, they, they ended up winning promotion from the, mm. from the conference as it was. Yeah. So I can see where you're coming from. Mm. It could bring them together. I think it's also, I mean, is it worth... It's Josie Mourinho. There's something... The club does seem to have descended into a, a, a terrible state mm. very quickly. Yeah. Um... And do we think the atmosphere had any, that's kind of surrounding Tottenham at the moment yeah. had anything to do with the episode in the first place? Well, I mean, it doesn't help, does it? The fan, you know, you go, to, you go to. I'm not saying I can understand. I, I don't know what the fan said, and I don't condone the kind of abuse that I've talked about. But you know, I go to games, I get upset, I say things that maybe half an hour later I'd regret. But I go because I want to see us, my team win, and then when we play badly, I get very frustrated. So that creates a negative atmosphere. That's obvious, but. I just, but are you aiming that at somebody, or are you just it, venting? It, it can. It's more venting, yeah. yeah. So I think there it is becoming a little bit pointed, isn't it, these days mm. with singling out certain players, which Mourinho doesn't help with, does he? You know, he often refers to certain players after games, which then helps a fan narrative, you know, progress he, that narrative afterwards. Yeah, I mean, he's cultivating the negativity, really. Mm. He's been saying that we've got a long, hard three months remaining after the defeat at Chelsea. I mean, it's, it's been pretty negative all around um, I don't know whether no one knows whether that had anything to do with it but um, certainly I don't think DR should be punished too harshly at all Elsewhere it was the Giroud and Gilmore show at Stamford Bridge as Chelsea beat Liverpool to set up a quarter final at Leicester uh, let's uh, talk about the Scottish teenage sensation then that is Billy Gilmore the 18 year old had punters and pundits with his display at Stamford Bridge. Uh, Gregor, I suppose I should let you take it from here, really. You must be so excited about <laughs> oh, this Billy. prospect. Oh, Billy. <laughs> ah, Giving hope to a nation, smile. young man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> no, seriously, it was a uh, it was a joy to watch, and within mo- moments of the kickoff finish, I had a friend sending me clips of that drag back on Fabinho, and he just sent him for a taxi. These are the kind of things we do not tend to see from Scottish <laughs> footballers, yeah. to be brutally honest. Um, and he's got you know I, he controlled the game in terms of like making little angles to get on the ball but also he had that bit of bite about him as well he, there was one tackle in the first half where he threw his entire body behind yeah. it and he probably has to because there's not much of him but and he kind of got in a wrestle with Adam Lallana on the floor came out with it you know there were so many he skipped through midfield a few times got a little turn of pace but the main thing is he's just a very unscottish looking footballer <laughs> and well, he is in a way because he's small and thin kind of harking back to Gordon, Gordon Strachan's Strachan chat here but Technically, um, you know that kind of little midfield pivot who controls the tempo of the game, little short passes, and no, it was a joy to watch. Yeah, and what's so interesting at being just eighteen and and obviously not really playing much for for Chelsea as things stand, that you can see Tom. There's an obvious trust already within the squad. They were happy to, you know, to to lay off a ball to him when it was a tricky situation because they knew that he would be able to get them out of it. Yeah, there, it wasn't that long ago. Chelsea released. I think it was January. Chelsea released a, um, a statement saying Gilmore was a, a fully fledged part of the first team, being promoted. Yeah, as such, but, yeah. Like, which isn't really a common thing, is it? You don't really mm. see that too often. It's just a natural development, and it was kind of this sign of we're we're trusting you. It's it's um it's it looked like it was maybe a bit too soon for him to be going into the first team. Because um, I saw him play for the first time last year weirdly against Liverpool in the youth in the under 23s and he was just miles above anyone else miles and he, he even though he is small and and slight he had that meerkat head where he's, it was just up on all the time um that pass in the in the first half when he I think it was, was Aspilicueta fired it in and it's kind of on the edge of his own box and they paused it on the tv when he got his head on a swivel <laughs> these are the things like you know that is a Top top level footballer. For That's what I mean. He he knows he 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 knows what's going on all around him. Um, and Craig I should just say smile. for listeners, <laughs> Gregor doesn't often smile on the podcast. <laughs> Honestly, absolutely beaming. Honestly, right never seen him this excited. Honestly, I think you know. Move over, Phil Foden. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is the newest teenage sensation that we're all talking about. But surely, if we're looking ahead to Euro twenty twenty, for example, Gregor. Um, you can't just rely on, on him. No, we also we need like to get there. I know, <laughs> this is it. You're, we need that to get there first. Absolutely need but, to get there first. I mean, but. you know, again, I was kind of, we look on social media and there's that debate opened immediately. Should he be, you know, should he be playing against in, in, the, in, the, in the qualifiers and stuff? Um, And it, it, was all, it was interesting too. Southgate, again, Gareth Southgate spoke about Phil Foden saying it's hard to gauge his level. You know, people say he's not playing enough first team football and stuff. I think there's you see players of that talent. It doesn't matter. You see them; they're they're a kind of smacky in the face talent. Phil Foden is the same. It doesn't matter how much football he's playing; he's good enough to be a part of the squad. So, absolutely, he should be a part of any future Scotland squad. But that's not to say he should just kind of walk into the team. We've got that's actually probably our best, the place where we're best stopped. We've got super John McGinn say, as well. You've got a lot of midfielders in yeah. the Scotland squad. Yeah, we have Cal McGregor. Uh, Ryan Christie, both excellent players at Celtic. Um, John Fleck, as I say, John McGinn, John Fleck, who's still not really 
not, made not much chance, impact, yeah. but he's been brilliant this season. McTominay. McTominay. So, yeah, I mean, if... We You're going to win it, aren't you? Well, <laughs> I think you should stick McTominay in centre-half because I'm struggling there. Play three at the back. Play, like, <laughs> seven in midfield and, you know, hope for the best. But he's different to any of them. You can see that in, like, the two times I've seen him play. He's a different footballer to any of them. There was, There is also, I think, from his side, I think the plan was to send him out on loan this, this summer coming... Um, to get experience because he wasn't there, was, there are a few who are ahead of him in that Chelsea squad but now you think Lampard's going to integrate him now isn't he he's going to be a, a full part of that squad and you'd expect to see him a bit more even if it's before that Leicester quarter final mm. Northern Tom they Obviously, hope. Gregor is buzzing uh, about <laughs> our certain Billy Gilmore and, and, and Gregor's just said there you know you can see just from those rare appearances that he's made so far in the first team squad that there is talent there that he should be picked for for Scotland for example but can you really judge someone on just a short amount of appearances that they may have made for a club uh, to me the most interesting thing about he was clearly incredibly technically gifted it was the confidence to me yeah. that was the most telling thing you know you're playing the best team in the country liverpool put out a very very strong team even though salah and firmino were on the bench it was um and i take a quote from James Gearbrand's excellent analysis of his performance the pose that he had on was arms out for the whole game saying give me the ball give mm. me the ball give mm. me the ball mm. wherever he was on the pitch edge of his own box edge of the Liverpool box with players around him give me the ball I'll dictate it I'll call the shots I'll help you out It that, that to me whenever you watch a player is the most telling thing you know I'm it, technically clearly clearly very talented but the confidence was the most most brilliant thing and me. you combine that with kind of positional intelligence like I say it was just sometimes just 5 or 10 yard runs to make an angle on the ball but also off the ball there was that time in the first half when I think Sadio Mane was mm. bursting through and he saw it a couple of steps ahead he was Mane was making the run and he yeah. he kind of covered in and he mm. just got his body in between and shepherded it out yeah I think he's great any excuse to bring up that he's great no he certainly is a talent that is for sure so from this new youngster um, emerging domestically here to a veteran shall we say of the Premier League we've got to talk a little bit about Olivier Giroud as well he tormented Joe Gomez and Virgil van Dijk at times so why has it taken this long Tom for Frank Lampard to trust him Uh, I think it's I don't think it's particularly to do with with Giroud as a player, I think Frank Lampard knows he's a good player. I think it's to do with the system that Frank Lampard wants to play at Chelsea. Because when um, Tammy Abraham, the injury um, happened, it was against, uh, it was in the Arsenal game, wasn't it? Um, He sustained the injury. And when he came back, but when Giroud finally came in, you saw the way in which they attacked was different, and it worked last year. Giroud, to me, is is a is a is a is a striker who complements other players. So last year, when Chelsea were at their best, it was when Eden Hazard was playing with Giroud because he played off him so nicely. He holds the ball up so much better than Tammy Abraham, but I, I don't think he's I don't think he's particularly a star striker. Um, I think he's. Which is going to upset Gregor? No, I, mean, <laughs> I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think Tom's summed up there because he—he's not a player who you would want to be someone you relied upon for goals for a top team in the Premier League. Um, 
And actually, there are times when I watch him play in, and I think, in another life, a player with his skill set and qualities could be like a journeyman championship striker. You are having one. I was, what? Because it's it, normally me that comes out with the outlandish comments on this podcast. That is outrageous. Well, I'd, Olivier Giroud in the championship. His his biggest strength is is physicality. No, it's definitely not his biggest strength. That's just one of his strengths because he's a big bloke. That's not his well, biggest. What's his other strength? His posi- You've just talked about Billy Gilmore being positionally adept and seeing spaces. Giroud does that as well. In order to create space, as Tom said, for the likes of Eden Hazard, he was. Superb. I don't think that's true. I think I've he- never seen. A, I've not seen a striker for a long time give Virgil Van Dijk a hard time like he did. Physically, and he didn't just do it physically. Nah, it was positionally as well, pulling him out of position, creating space behind the Liverpool defence for the Ross Barkley goal. Giroud doesn't just create that goal by winning the header, beating Van Dijk in the air, an impressive feat in itself. He does it by he pulling him ran. short. I mean, I mean this is, that's very basic stuff. He leads the line alone, so his job is to occupy one of the centre-halves and sometimes it's to drag them out of position. That's you not... must have played with a lot of men who lead the line very well. Are you saying that that role, you can just transplant them into any team? So think about I'm the players saying you, you could, must have I'm played I'm saying with. because of that's his biggest strength and because of his lack of other strengths you could transplant him into a team much further down the league and he wouldn't look any better he wouldn't look oh he'd look miles better come on you're welcome to come and watch Lincoln in League One with me if you want Listen, and I he, tell he, you what he does, he does the same thing Matt Reid did for Lincoln he, no one don't let's not bring on Matt <laughs> we're getting a bit niche here we, we really but, will fall out but no, isn't, look, well let me ask then you seem to be obviously in Giroud's camp, Northern Tom. Yes. Are we underappreciating him? Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I think he's a brilliant player. I think his first touch is excellent. I think Nonsense. I think he's very. T- ah, you've had your bit. Let me have a go. <laughs> All right. And um, I think he's very technically gifted, as you could see. For if we remember one of the great Premier League goals mm-hmm. that Arsenal scored against Norwich, um, I think Jack will did Jack Wilshere finish it off? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Brilliant passing move, Giroud. Key to that, laying the ball off. Perfect weight of pass, perfect m- positional movement as well into the space to drag the Norwich defenders around. He also scored one of the most outrageous back goals. Give flick, me that one, yes. yes. Flick goals. Yes. I mean, I'm I love Matt Reed, but he wouldn't be scoring one of them. Well, it was instinct, but it was Give it was good. over, it was good. come on. It was instinct. The lads won the World Cup. I know, that's what I'm saying. I find it incredible. I think in any other, any other kind of generation... That would not be the and case. And you say he's not scored think... goals. He scored 39 goals for France in 97 matches. He scored 73 and 100. 22 for of them Arsenal. were in 45 friendlies. It's still a match. He's he still got to score goals in a friendly. He scored four goals in 21 games in, in finals. I'm not saying his goals are his strength, but I'm saying he well, can score goals. Yeah, I'm saying he's a striker who brings other people into play, like Tom says. Yeah, he's. I mean, you've got. Look at all the praise. I'm not descri- I'm not comparing him to Firmino here. Before you get too excited, but you've got the, <laughs> two of the good. Two, <laughs> you've got Firmino and um, Goldrick at Sheffield United. You're looking at me like, where's he going with this? No, I know where you're going with this. I, I know where you're going with this. The, the, the goals they're, 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 they're not in their team. Good footballers. But, you you you're saying David McGoldrick is a better technically gifted footballer than Olivier Giroud? Absolutely. You are having one today. <laughs> There's no way. I I like all those players that Tom said, and I like them for a similar reason, because I think they have a vital role to play in the team. I think Giroud is as good as those players technically. Well, no, that's that's not true. I mean, he, he, so he would not... <laughs> Firmino, he would Firmino, off Firmino and sort of is... Firmino play like a kind of false... He does do that. He does do that. No, he doesn't. He was doing that on uh, against uh, against Liverpool. 
They weren't just I mean, lumping it forward. I think he is a hard-working striker. Of course he is a hard-working striker. He happens to be tall and well His biggest strength is his physicality. No. His biggest so, strength is... The, the other mean, strengths don't add up to that of those, those of an elite striker. But, but so to, if he was playing, to draw if he was playing out a defender in a weaker isn't... team... If he's playing in a weaker team, he wouldn't score as many goals. But drawing out a defender isn't down to physicality. That's, that's I don't clever. think he does that. He does do that. I don't think he does that. I mean, he, his movement's not particularly... His movement is... I mean, look, I, look, I know we're heading into the realms of where you're going to go, I played the game, mate, back in no, the box. No, but, I'd never see that. <laughs> and you'd be, well within your rights. That. you'd be well within your rights to do that. But... I'll, I'll also say that I wouldn't. He's someone I wouldn't like to play against. So I can see those two things together. If I was a centre half, I'm, you know, I, I agree. He roughed up Van Dyke. He gave Gomez a tough time. But these, that is because of his physicality, and that you don't see that much anymore. So he does. He does provide something. He stretches the game for whatever team he plays for, and he creates space for other players. That's not born from intelligence. That's born from his physicality. Definitely need intelligence to be good at that. You can't just be a big bloke. I mean, I'm six foot three. I'm quite big. I can't. I can't create space just by being on the pitch. Well, I know that, Tom. But <laughs> yeah. but you're like lower than basic. Yeah, which is what you described Olivier words of my mouth now. You did refer to him, but when you were going through the qualities, you yeah. thought that's just basic. Yeah. Well, dropping off into into or like I'm just saying, no, but doing it intelligently and at the right time. You just talked about Billy Gilmore doing that at the right time and at the right moment and into the right areas of space. Giroud does that all the time. I don't think he does. Look at Tom was talking about how brilliant Eden Hazard was. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying Real Madrid should sign Olivier Giroud to make Eden Hazard perform, but he, you know, he he struggles without that kind mm. of player around him. But you couldn't just uh, have a big any random big striker. You have to have one. Of course, he's of our level and clever. He's of our level, but he's. I don't. I'm just. Of I sometimes sit level. back and watch him play and think, I'm amazed that he played for two of the biggest clubs in in England. And won the Blooming World Cup. I'm astonished by it, and I see what he does. I, I know he, he he improves. He creates space for for players who are better than him around him, but I don't think that's enough for me to be saying that he's a an elite striker or underappreciated. Olivier, if you're listening, you're more than welcome to come on the pod and uh, have a discussion <laughs> with case. Gregor next week. Well, I'm going to have to ding ding call time on that one. Um, I think we haven't. Who really won? Who well, won? Well, that's there? it. I'm not sure. I think maybe drawn. You pick. Uh, well, well, I. Go on. I th- I'm, I'm, I've been sitting here trying to work out what Gregor's vendetta is against <laughs> Olivier Giroud. So what has think, he done to you? Yeah, Tom, stick together. All so, right. so, well, I was going to say I'm Good. with Northern. Have you ever Tom. played against him? No. I just mean, wondered. Was there something that he did to you in a game that you I, just thought that's I, it? He's absolutely not. No. I mean, he would have. He would have got the better of me. No problem. <laughs> no problem with seeing that. But I just, I just think for the top level. No. All right. Ding ding. Let's move on. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. 
That's stamps.com code program. Okay, we want you to remember this name, and that is Daniel Batz. German fourth-tier side Saarbrücken have knocked Bundesliga side Fortuna Dusseldorf out of the DFB Pokal Cup, so that's like the FA Cup in Germany, after goalkeeper Batz saved not one, not two, not three, or even four, but five penalties. Now, the game finished one all after extra time before Bats saved four out of ten penalties in the shootout, as well as one during the second half. Uh, Saarbrücken play in the Southwest Regional League and had to win a local cup to even qualify for this national competition. And we felt that deserves a little mention today. But who would your Daniel Bats be in a matter of life and death? death when it comes to a penalty shootout. If you had to choose one goalkeeper from past or present to save that all-important spot kick, who would it be and why? So, panel, Tom, who's your pick? I am going for the only man to ever save a Matt Letizia penalty. And that is Mark Crossley. Ah. Um, He was also uh, in an FA Cup fifth round replay against Tottenham Hotspur in 96. He saved three of the penalties. So not quite bats level, but pretty good. Um, and the last one, I believe the story went, the last one was against Teddy Sheringham. And, and I love this idea. It's like um, Tim Krull last night, this this idea that um, goalkeepers in penalty shootouts are, you can only win, can't you? You can't lose as a goalkeeper. And uh, I think Teddy Sheringham was up last and he just gone from from Tottenham and he said I know where you're going to put it and he saved it so Mark Crossley's my man he gets your nod Gregor you sort of made a funny face there yeah so, Southern Tom over there despite my <laughs> protestations went with Mark Crossley who uh, <laughs> I was going to pick because uh, Big Norm as he's known he was a uh, goalkeeper coach when I was at Chesterfield and even then I mean he must have been in his 40s then he was just like a giant wall in the goal maybe because he kind of had one or two extra dinners as well but um, (laughs) he was even then at that age he was the least agile looking goalkeeper you ever saw but he always got in the way of things he was a great goalkeeper but I've not picked him because Tom has Um, (laughs) I'm going to go for Fraser Forster He, he saved 15 out of the 42 penalties he's faced including one very recently in the cup final against Rangers. And he's always been outstanding for Celtic um, at, at saving penalty kicks. And in general, actually, I mean, he had a dodgy time at Southampton, but he's been brilliant for Celtic. And that includes penalties, some very big ones as well. So I think I would choose him. There's a few others. I mean, Pepe Reina was one. I hope I'm not stealing yours now, Tom. I bet you couldn't stop one from Wee Billy, though, could he, Fraser Forster? and stop one from Wee Billy. No, well, I've not seen Wee Billy take a penalty kick, but I'm sure he does it beautifully. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's your pick. Come on, Northern Tom, what have you got for us? Um, I, I feel like I should be picking Northern players as well, but I don't think any of them are. Um, actually, one of them is. Um, a few shout-outs um, from uh, some loyal listeners. Horelio Gomez has got a pretty okay. decent penalty record. Dimitri Karin, as well as wearing jogging bottoms, was also pretty good at saving penalties. Dimitri Karin. Whilst at Chelsea. Um, I think we should give a nod to Tim Krul for his heroic for Norwich last night. Um, but I am going to pick Portuguese goalkeeper Ricardo for his uh, efforts in the 2006 World Cup against England. 
where I think he saved three penalties, um, Gerrard, Lampard and Carragher, which I think was the first time a goalkeeper saved three penalties in a World Cup shootout. So I think in 2004, he also was a star in a penalty shootout by scoring a penalty. And I think he then also threw his gloves off to score the penalty and then saved one with his gloves off as well. So I'm either going to pick him, but to, to give a Northern lad a mention... Uh, someone who's taken an absolute kicking on this podcast. Jordan Pickford would be up there for me for saving a penalty, purely for his effort to stop Carlos Bacca uh, in the World Cup uh, last year, sticking his arm up to save that spot kick. I think he deserves a mention when it comes to saving penalties. Yes, I mean, you've all raised some very good ones. I'm surprised none of you mentioned the Brentford keeper, Richard Lee, <laughs> who saved three penalties uh, as we made it to the Southern Area final of the Football League of trophy course, against Charlton. Course, that classic shootout. Indeed, in fact, we actually reached the final that year in 2011, but then lost to Carlisle. So we'll gloss over that, but that was a great shootout. I remember being there. It was really good. Um, <laughs> let me just say that uh, a lot of people backed you for Mark Crossley. Ah. Uh, we've had a few tweets. Uh, JT, Nick Thompson. I don't know when I say JT, I don't think it's Justin. Timberlake or John Derry it's someone <laughs> called JT uh, Nick Thompson uh, Stuart George uh, there's also been a shout for the flying hippo Andy Gorham of course that was from yeah. Paul Corrigan Rangers, uh, even uh, Adrian <laughs> Durham got involved and mentioned Freddie Woodman as well mm. so lots of people getting involved there's also uh, I should say Ryan uh, the Arsenal fan who says David Seaman he's the reason I support the Gunners growing up as a Sunday league goalkeeper watching his penalty heroics at Euro 96 wanting to be just like him loads of people also mentioned uh, Peter Cech and um, Peter Schmeichel as well but uh, really interesting isn't it you would have thought I would have thought Van der Sar as well but then I looked at his I didn't get mm. many responses nine, for him. nine of 58 in his Ooh, career he saved big one. penalties though he saved one in a Manchester derby, um, I think, from Darius Vassell, maybe, uh, with his legs, knocked it over the bar. Did he? I think I don't know whether I've got that right. But he definitely saved a penalty in a Manchester derby. I don't know whether it was Darius Vassell. It's, do you know what? It's really handy you mentioned the Manchester derby, because obviously that's coming up this weekend. It is the 182nd Manchester derby on Sunday afternoon, Man City taking on Man United at Old Trafford. And I've got a little quiz for you ahead Excellent. of it. So, come mm. on, let's get your thinking caps on. Six players have made Premier League appearances for both sides. Can you name all six? It's a collective thing, this. It's Carlos, Carlos Tevez is the obvious one, isn't it? Yes, he? Carlos Tevez, we'll give you that. Owen Hargreaves. Owen Hargreaves, 27 times he played for Man United, just the once for City. Mm. Who, who was that? Um, there was a goalkeeper who played for both in the 90s. Ooh. So Ooh. as we're on goalkeepers, Ooh. in the Premier League era, God. This I mean, there's a couple really big names. Any clues? Well, we, I Positions. mentioned. Positions. I, you mentioned a goalkeeper, and there is a goalkeeper, and I mentioned him. Schmeichel. <gasps> of course, oh, that's embarrassing. So, two hundred ninety-two <laughs> times he played well, for United, just twenty-nine. <laughs> Peter Schmeichel, I know. Come on. God, we are what, this, what industry this do you work job. in? This is our job. <laughs> um, what about a striker? Perhaps more familiar. Andy under- Cole. Yes, yes. 195 times for United he played. Just the 22 for Manchester City. Did a guy called Terry Cook ever play? <gasps> That was the one City. I didn't think you'd you get. Go- you're Googling over there. No, honestly not. Is that the one where you put Max... Producer Max promised someone a fiver before the show. Is that the one? Yeah. Get in. Oh, Max, what have you done? <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. Crikey, yes. I think he played like once or twice for United in the four. Premier League and then, four times. then moved to City. Yep, and then spent uh, and then played 20 to, games. Then moved to America. I wrote his biography. <laughs> <laughs> there is one more who played, I can say, over 100 times for Manchester United in the Premier League. 
and just 10 for Manchester City. Mm. Mm. Uh, also played oh. for another Premier League side as well. God, I'm sure and it wasn't the red side of Liverpool, put it that way. Andre Kanchelskis didn't play for Man City, did he? He did. Yes. He did. Get in. On loan mm. from Niche Rangers. Well done, Northern Tom. Northern Tom wins. Thank you. No, it was a collective. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yes. Don't worry, yeah. but you did do very well. I did, thank you. <laughs> and, you win, and you win a fiver. And I've got a fiver. <laughs> thank you. Max, which is it's excellent. All round good day for Northern Tom. <laughs> okay, that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Tom Roddy and Northern Tom. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online or on your smartphone or tablet. It is just a pound a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information and we'll be back on Monday. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.